0: So today we have on our uh, podcast show Darren uh, Wade from Stride Real Estate and we're going to we're happy to have him on the uh, the show here and So this has been a a progress, or at least I say a a, a long awaited, uh, you know, show here from an industry expert, you know, that's, uh, you know, I I give high, uh, high recommendations to, but I'll let the man himself introduce himself, tell a little bit about his business, what he does in the Valley, and uh, how many lives that he has touched, including myself, he has helped me as well with homeownership
1: yeah right on thank you marshawn for having me on i'm excited to be here excited to um share with uh, you and your audience and um and talk about real estate and investing and in interest rates and things like that um quick bio about myself um darren way that realtor investor that underscore realtor underscore investor on instagram um i've been licensed agent since 2010 Um, What got me started in real estate was reading the book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, back in 2004. Um, It really piqued my my interest on how the world, um, how parts of the world operates, right? The financial part of the world operates. The stuff I didn't learn in school, I learned it through that book. Not everything, but, you know, just the basics. At that time, I was going to college, and I realized that college is just another business. And whether I graduated with, you know, a degree or something that didn't guarantee my success at the next stage in life, or didn't guarantee that I was gonna, you know, get a good paying job to pay back um, all the loans that I would have racked up in in college. And so after a year and a half at Fresno State, I moved away to Southern California, one of my friends, um, and uh, had the dreams and ambitions of starting a business out there in Southern California, because it seemed like everything um, thrives in SoCal. Um, and um, went out there for four years, got sick um with crohn's disease i'm gonna say COVID. <laughs> i got sick with crohn's disease and i lost a lot of weight and tried to come back in 2008 um and then um a resting period or a period of of getting um healthy again and then i um got into real estate in 2012 after working at the bank for a few years um since 2012 um actually in 2015 My wife and I started um, Shrive Real Estate Group, which is a team or a business within the brokerage that we're at now, which is Real Broker, which is a cloud-based broker. Um, And we have helped, I don't know the total number of families, but last year alone, we helped 144 families. The year before that, we helped 120 families, I believe, or close to 120 families. Um, And we are in the top, we're usually like top five or top 10 um, out of 4,000. Um, agents, Um, top one or top 0.5% locally in Fresno in the amount of um, families that we help every year. Um, And in 2015 as well is when we purchased our first home. And then shortly after that, we purchased our first investment property. And we now own, as of today, we own 18 doors, I believe it is. We added a door last week in the process of buying one, a commercial property right now, and um, we also have a, um, a, an investment business where we are um, doing some wholesaling um, and then flipping some of those properties and bringing them to the market as well. Um, so yeah, we have um, a dad first, a husband first, and um, an agent um, second, uh, three kids. We have uh, twins that are two years old and then an almost six-year-old um, boy named DJ. So that's a quick bio about myself.
0: Man, that's a lot. You know, I mean, you are <laughs> a, a realtor dad. And so, I mean, you, you truly got a bastard balancing the work, life, and real estate business. And, you know, it's every day, you know, waking up, you know, what is like your schedule to, you know, get up in the morning and then know, you know, you got to, you know, sometimes bring work home and then helping those people that are, you know, having a dream or an aspiration of home ownership and not want to be stuck as renters. And, you know, homeownership is not for everyone, but, you know, the process and now with the market conditions are, you know, can we talk about the market conditions as far as, you know, the inventory, you know, what, you know, the you know what's going on with the interest rates and things like that?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, real quick, I'll give you my um, schedule. Um, it, it varies. I'll, t- I'll give you my schedule and then kind of how we juggle work life counterbalance because we used to try to balance it, but we realized it doesn't balance much. Um Luckily, my wife is in the industry as well. She's a real estate agent and an investor, a boss, an owner um, like myself. And so it it helps because we both – we use our calendar a lot. So we both know what each other is doing and when one needs to be home with the kids or when we need to have a babysitter or when we're out on a, an appointment or a showing or something like that. Um, so that definitely helps out um, our schedule. in this industry, um, it's easy to – It's flexible enough to take kids with us to a showing, not really a listing appointment, but to a showing, because usually those buyers have, you know, kids or family or they understand that, you know, the kids may need to come along. So we do that from time to time when we need to. Um, We thank God we can work from our phones so we can do a lot of stuff from our phones. Right. Because we have a, a team that we work with and partners, other real estate partners that we work with that can either show homes for us, write offers for us, um, draft up paperwork for us, take pictures for us, all that other stuff, um, all those pivotal tasks that a real estate agent needs to be able to do. Um, And so that definitely helps out with our work-life counterbalance as well um, a lot. Um, and, and real quick schedule. In the morning, I my goal is to wake up at 6 a.m. every morning. I try to have the first hour just for myself before the kids wake up, before uh, the world wakes up, before I get, you know, phone calls and text messages and things like that. Um, I, um, I you know, do breathing, exercise, ride the Peloton, a couple push-ups, um, get some water in my body, um, listen to something good, and sometimes I do a 10-minute um, breathing or a meditation Uh, session. And so that's what my morning looks like. And then the kids wake up and then I got to get ready. Then babysitter comes and we go off to the office and then whatever we have on our calendar for that day, uh, we knock it out um, as best as we can. We don't always do good at at knocking everything off off of our to-do list every day, Um, but we try our best. Um, Yeah. so our days kind of just go where our calendar takes us. And then if there's an emergency, then we got to adjust from there. So it's crazy. It's crazy to, I don't know. It is crazy. <laughs> we just go
0: so with the flow. Would you think, would you say that the uh, exercise gives you more of a, um, a clear mind or balanced approach on starting your, you know, real estate day on, on helping clients? Because, you know, we do know that exercise helps rejuvenate the body and mind. Would, would you go ahead and, and, and really say that that would also help keep you sharp and focused in the industry as well?
1: Yes. Yeah. I, I agree with that. Yeah. When I, on days when I do my morning routine or I exercise, I feel better um, going into the day, right? I feel like I've already accomplished something. Yeah. Maybe hard, right? If I'm, I'm not on lift weights anymore, but, um, but just getting through the workout is a win for me. And, um, and so, yeah, it definitely makes me feel some type of way, gives me a clear mindset, kind of puts things in balance um, for me mentally. So
0: So that's so that's positive uh, mind and a positive body and and attitude. And and so a lot of people have, you know, experiences with realtors that, you know, wasn't as positive. And so I I think, you know, you can carry that energy off into some of your clients. And, you know, that's kind of also helps, you know, you be able to be more uh, successful as an agent. And like you said, digital transformation or the technology has also leveraged or at least catapulted, you know, your career. And I know there's some agents that are, you know, still haven't made that 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 shift you know to technology but with everything now being digital electronic signatures and the covid pandemic you know getting past that i mean how was your hurdles with that i mean did you, i know you guys had made some achievements you know during covid as well and you wasn't set back you know by the restrictions correct
1: yeah yeah we wasn't completely set but we set back for a short period of time just like i think most people or the world was um um and, yeah, I thought the work was going to end for a couple of weeks there, maybe for a couple of months there um, <laughs> uh, until until they deemed real estate agents as um, essential. Right. Then we was able to start working again. Of course, we had to work, you know, either wearing gloves or wearing N95 mask or whatever it was. Um, so our, our lives was affected. Our you know people that were buying and selling homes lives were affected. Um, uh, that tightened up the market even more, which we'll get into in a little bit. Um, it, it was it was a crazy time, but we were fortunate enough that we weathered that storm um, you know, mentally uh, and, and financially, and um, and was still able to help um, a lot of people that year, um, and not not just in real estate, but in other ways as well. So during that year, or at the end of that near the end of that year, um, we <laughs> gave back. Um, more money that year than we did any other year and not just money, time, uh, meals to, to families that need it, um, and other things like that. Since we were fortunate enough to have more money, um, on our side than most did at that time, cause they were losing their jobs or furloughed or whatever it was, we was able to, um, help back and support people. And so that felt really good. Uh- I know that's something that, you know, I don't really hear too often,
0: you know, the uh, philanthropy part of it. And so could you go ahead and explain a little bit more about, you know, giving back? Because most agents, you know, are driven on their commission Mm -hmm. and that's not the approach or the mind, know at least, you know, the the mission that you guys are are here to help families. And, you know, giving back is always good because, you know, it's not always profit driven and it's more uh, community driven. And so you know, that's that's a different kind of a, a business model that I've heard, the first person that I've heard that actually is giving back, you know, to their clients or to the community.
1: Yeah, yeah, so one of our, definitely one of our big things to do is to give back in one way, one way or another. Um, one way that we give back is to um, our, our son, our five, six-year-old, almost six-year-old boy, DJ, he was born in the NICU at Columbus Community Hospital, and, Um, he was born eight weeks early or two months early, and the NICU nurses there took such good care of him that we've seen them as heroes. We've seen them as angels. And so about after he was a year old and he came from a little five-pound little boy um, to like 90-something percentile plus um, in height and weight, we wanted to show our um, appreciation to the NICU nurses there. And so out of every single Commission check whether I close it or my wife closes it or somebody on our, on our team closes it, we give back to um, Clovis Community NICU um, specifically, and so we're proud donors of of their um, of the, their hospital, which is a locally owned or yeah, it's not like a big company. I think it's all local, um, locally owned um, um, hospital system or network system, um, and we pledge to give back fifty thousand dollars. Over a five-year period of time, and um, yeah, and we increased that a couple of times. It first off, at like fifteen thousand, then went up, and then went up again. So, I think we're right now at fifty thousand dollars that we're going to give back to them over over a five-year period of time. Um, giving back a couple of of the organ- other organizations that we gave back to was um, um, Live Again Fresno. Which, um, on off of Belmont and Olive on 99, there's hotels there. Some of it know, some of us know it as a host troll. Um, there's kids and mothers <laughs> that that live in those hotels on the front side that's facing the freeway and on the back side as well. And I didn't know that I thought it was just you know pimping and hoeing for lack of better words. And, um, once we got turned on to this, or, um, somebody came to us with this, um, with the program yeah then we we started giving back to them as well um in hopes to help a kid and a mother get out of that lifestyle right or get away from those um, from that toxic environment Uh, so that's another thing that we gave back to you know i think that's great because you guys are touching not just
0: homeowners lives you're also touching those that are less fortunate and you're supporting a community and, you know, that's a big impact and also a reason that would let me say that I would choose an agent that has compassion as well as, uh, you know, empathy for the less fortunate as well as, you know, out there can understand those struggles because you can impact that, you know, family or kid life. And maybe they might one day become you know real estate agent and remember that, you know, because, you know, those are paying it forward. I think that's awesome. But, yeah, uh, absolutely. Yeah. But I definitely, you know, thank you for sharing that experience with with, you know, our our podcast show here today. Mm -hmm. But let's talk about the products and the markets and, you know, the interest rates, because a lot of people that I talk to, you know, whether it's untrue information, partial information, saying that, oh, you know, buying a house right now is not a good time. But it depends on what's right for that person, regardless of the interest rates. I agree. uh, Because, you know housing housing is always going to go up if you rent you're you're going to pay someone else's uh, mortgage and they're going to always increase it based on the cost of living
1: yeah yep i agree with that yeah sorry but what was your question there as far as the market what is the
0: interest rate right now and you know because right now i know the feds they've considered they've been rate the fed hikes has been you know it's pretty much the highest it's ever been in maybe 20 30 years and what do you see in the, yeah. the rates at the market now? I know it changes on a monthly or a weekly basis.
1: Yeah, actually, it changes on a daily basis. And I'm not a a, a lending expert, um, but I do know that they're hovering around 5%, right? You may be able to get something a little bit less than 5% or, or above 5%. Um, this year um, alone, rates have gone up faster than they have, I think, over the last 10 years or something along those lines, or maybe even more than that. Um, it's increased rapidly fast. Historically, though, over the last 30 years, or even longer than that, interest rates are historically still low, right? I think the lowest that we've seen um, maybe last year was um, high twos for some borrowers, high twos, low threes, right? I heard some people getting 2.75, which is which is crazy. Um, and, and nowadays, you're probably getting, yeah, um, right, right around 5%. Um, so it definitely has increased um, this year. There is talks that it, it may go back down some, you know, who knows when that will be. Right? I think there needs to be some equilibrium in the, in the market or um, um, a, a positive outlook in the market to bring the bonds um, down. And I don't know too much about all that um, talk, but just talking to my lending partners, that's just what I gathered from them, um, that the interest rate could go back down. Um, at some point,
0: so it would be fair to say that people shouldn't have the FOMO, fear of missing out, on on buying a house or, or trying to you know qualify to you know buy a house and, and continue to you know look for that home ownership with uh, <clears> the <throat> with the right real estate agent.
1: Correct. I think um, somebody should continue looking for a home if they need a home, right? Um, a, a home ownership. Homeownership means different things for different people. But we do know that in the long run that the home values trajectory is up. And it's almost always been up. You know, it goes down every now and then or flattens out every now and then. But it's almost always up, right? So you have um, long-term wealth that you can grow or an equity that you can grow from owning real estate. The money factor of it, right, the interest rate, if you can buy a home, and and leverage you know uh, the bank allows you to borrow 97.5 percent you know when you're putting down three and a half percent of an asset and borrowing money at only five percent like that's low that's cheap right if you're buying a stock you'd have to put down a hundred percent of that stock price in order to own that you know that that share or that that fraction of the share or whatever it is that you're buying right Mm -hmm. in real estate it's it's a highly leveraged asset, um, which is which is a beautiful thing, and I don't believe any other asset classes have that, and that's why the most successful people, um, and the most wealthy people, um, all own real estate more than more than one property. Um, but yeah, to get back to your question, I think um, the monthly mortgage payment is something that each buyer lives with every month. Right. And so if they have a good job now and have had a good job for the last two years and they um, can see themselves staying in that job and making that amount of money. And if that money makes sense for that mortgage payment, then then you pull the trigger. Um, it, it's it's a fool's game trying to um, predict when values will go down or interest rates will go down. Right. Nobody knows when or what or how it's going to happen. Um, it's always unexpected things that happen in the world that make those things um um, change or adjust dramatically and so um i I don't i think it's risky to try to wait for that i would say focus on the monthly mortgage payment talk to a mortgage professional that can educate you on on the cost of waiting right Mm -hmm. um on different examples of hey if the market goes down if values go down let's say 10 percent but interest rates go up another one percent like what does that mean Right. Does that mean that, you, that you're, you're better off, um, or, you know, your higher payment or you're paying more in interest in the long run or, you know, talk to somebody that knows and they can draw that out for you and show you numbers so that way you can get a better idea in your head. Right. So yeah. it, may, it may be better to pay hundred dollars more now, um, but in the long run, maybe you're paying less because your interest rate is lower than what it could be, you know, in three months, six months or whatever it is.
0: Mm mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, there's options, you know, for people that can lock in their interest rates. And so I think, you know, um, you know, me, I'm waiting on the DRE and, you know, to approve my license as a mortgage loan officer. So, you know, I'm excited to get into the real estate as well. And, you know, I'm I'm all for, like you said, home own ownership. And that's building the, um, the generational wealth and, and, you know, passive income. And so I understand, you know, exactly what you're saying, but to someone that doesn't have that information and, you know, the education part of it, you know, waiting out and if there's an opportunity to buy, especially if it's a good buy, you know, they shouldn't miss out on that opportunity because, like you said, you put three and a half percent down on on something to own and then you can leverage that, you know, it's it's a huge potential.
1: It does. It definitely does. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree.
0: And so how many offers are made, you know, on, on houses now versus, you know, a couple of years ago, because I seen a, a, a funniest Mimi. It was a, uh, I think it was a TikTok about a lady buying a house, you know, two years ago. And she was just as unprofessional as possible. And then now it's like another time they showed up with a realtor drinking a bottle of uh some kind of a, a whiskey and like going to being drunk and belligerent stressed out because she couldn't close her deal because there was like a hundred offers and they were trying to get the kid as well as part of the you know buyers uh, you know oh. down payment with a kid selling the kid with the house you know wow it was pretty funny, was pretty funny.
1: that is crazy <laughs> yeah so um, we had this conversation in our team meeting last week on how many offers we are submitting so it depends right now the buyers that are getting their offers accepted, that are on market, like right, on MLS, through an agent, um, they're usually getting their offer accepted if they have an appraisal gap, right? And real quickly, what an appraisal gap is, is most offers, so th- the homeowner will list the home at you know, what they believe it, it's worth, right? Let's just say $100,000 for simple numbers. Um, but buyers know that they need to come above the list price if they wanna get the home right and so let's say the buyer comes in at at $120,000 right but comparables in the area that's higher that that home that 120 is higher than the other homes that are selling in the area and so that home when it's appraised by a licensed appraiser that gives their opinion of value at that time it may not appraise at 120 right it may appraise at 105 or 110 something like that and so if that buyer has let's say a ten thousand dollar appraisal gap, and it appraises at one ten, then that guarantees the seller will get the one twenty um, purchase price, or ten thousand dollars more than the appraisal um, price, uh, or yeah, appraisal price, um, depending on what that appraisal comes in at. Does that make sense? I mean, it does to me,
0: uh but I, I know that you know it's not like more people are just you know competing with. with- Four to five offers now you're looking at dozens of offers and how do you how do they select which offers like now you're going to instead of buying a house you're not only buying a house you're also interviewing you know you know your
1: family and selling
0: yourself and and competing you know with with uh, with an inventory that is that is really small and thin
1: yeah yeah uh well to answer your question about how many number of offers last year um and, of course, it's price point specific or, you know, it depends, um, or relative, I should say. Um, I got 30-something offers on one of my listings. I've heard somebody getting 50-something offers on, on the listing. And I think the price points were in the twos or threes. Um, right now, anything under $500,000 is um, you, almost getting multiple offers, right? As long as the list price is somewhere within the range of the the value in the area, then they're getting multiple offers, right? But if a seller, like that back to that hundred thousand dollar example, if a seller priced a home at one thirty and all the buyers and buyers agents know it's not gonna praise for one thirty, um, you know, that seller's tripping, then they're not gonna put in they may not put an offer in at one third. They may put an offer at one thirty or one forty just to try to get the home. Um, but but they'll, you know, they'll probably um, put the offers in, maybe put it in a little bit less. I'm not seeing that too much right now. Um, but, but, but what I'm trying to get at is it's relative to um, the list price and what's happening in the area will determine how many offers a listing will get. Because interest rates have gone up some and because there has been a, um, I would say, a hold up in seller selling because they can't find another place or replacement property to purchase and so that's um, creating tighter inventory levels. Um, There are nowadays with interest going up um, there's less offers we're probably seeing maybe five to ten offers um, nowadays as opposed to you know 20 to 30 offers a year ago Um, and so yeah that has that has changed some but there are still multiple offers on most properties that are listed well and that um, that are in in good condition or decent condition even crap nowadays is getting you know selling for a good amount Um, and i think that goes to show that people value um, the asset of real estate more than the the dollar in their bank right they 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 have more confidence in the asset um, to beat inflation or just to grow Um, Or they just need a home to stay in, right? A home to live in, have a roof over their head. um, Then they do having money in the bank, Um, and so that's been interesting to see uh, lately, and to hear that from someone else. I was like, "Oh, that makes sense." And I was looking at um, something that Ray Dalio, um, he's a big hedge fund, like one of the most successful hedge fund managers. Um, He has um, a, a video. I forget what the name is uh, but he has a video where he talks about during tough times like this of high inflation um, real estate is one of the best assets to put your money into because it will beat inflation right and your money at the end of that will come out higher than what inflation um, did or was
0: okay well that's a that's a good good uh piece of information to uh, absorb and also to you know kind of you know think about and like you said, you know, a lot of that has to do with the comps and, you know, the listing of the last selling price of the, whatever the house was in the area. Uh, another question that I you know wanted to kind of elaborate on is like, what makes a good agent? Because I have referred, you know, people to you because I know that the agent seems like they was not, you know, putting a client in, you know, the, red, the best of the uh, price point. Mm-hmm. And so if I'm pre-qualified for 300,000, why would you take me to go see a house or a listing that was at 395 or 400,000 when it just it's wasting my time where I need to find something that's within what I can afford and what I'm approved for?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, good question. Um, every agent has different, um, practices, um, and the way they go about doing things. Um, what we like to do, Is um, I mean, if somebody's approved for three hundred thousand dollars right now in this market, we're gonna they should probably be looking in 280 range, right? So that way they have buffer, you know, homes at 280 or less, so that way Mm -hmm. they can put in offers at three hundred thousand at their max and be competitive to get their offer considered or accepted, right? But if they're looking at Mm -hmm. 320 or 310 and their max 300, right, unless that $300,000 Three hundred thousand dollar listing is overpriced, right? Where the seller and the agent um, um, priced it high, then they may not—they not even look at or consider that offer. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, because chances are they're going to get higher offers than than that, and especially in that price range. They're definitely going to um, get get multiple offers because, like, three hundred thousand right now is like the new two hundred thousand. <laughs> As as like two years ago, a home with 200000 is now probably worth 300000 or selling for that at least.
0: Yeah. And, you know, I think, like you said, what controls the price of the house is the appraisal. Even though I'm a owner and I believe my value is this, but the appraisal always comes down to what, you know, they know that what this house is really worth. And when it comes to a lending point of view, if I'm going with an FHA or conventional or VA, they're not going to loan up more than the greater than the value of the home unless I'm a cash buyer. Do you have a lot more cash buyers now versus traditional uh, you know, loans?
1: Um, yes, we do see a lot more cash buyers um, and where the cash is coming from. I'm not exactly sure. Because it, it, it makes me scratch my head sometimes, right? A, a person that comes from humble beginnings and, you know, not having a lot of money, when somebody's putting 500000 600000 a million dollars down on a house or to buy a house, to me it's like, damn, where'd you get that money from, right? Um, but we are seeing a lot more cash buyers. I do know where some of the cash buyers are coming from, so I will say this. Southern California and Northern California, right? You can sell a million-dollar shack in one of those places and buy a $500,000 home that's bigger than what you had out there here in Fresno or Mm -hmm. surrounding areas. Right. And so to them, it makes sense. It's a no brainer (laughs) because they probably, it's probably $500,000 in equity that they've that they got or more from their shack that they sold down here. Right. And then they're still able to put money in the bank um, as well. So Mm -hmm. that's where some of the cash buyers are coming from. All
0: right. I had a I had a client, he actually was able to buy a house cuz he sold and bought enough bitcoin, not bitcoin dogecoin. And he let that That's money high. season in his bank for 3 months uh-huh. and it was all uh they, you know, sourced the money, sourced where it came from uh-huh. and he bought his house off of investing into bitcoin and I was like I was like, you know, because a lot of people cashed out on the Doge, and so he cashed out on his his Bitcoin and multiple other, you know, cryptocurrencies. Nice. And He used that as a down payment on him a home, and and now he has a home. And I think he sold over close to almost a hundred thousand dollars in um in, in Bitcoin as far as the um, the cost basis was.
1: Wow, that is pretty tight. That's right. I'm so curious- that was another. Creative oh, ways of, uh,
0: those are creative ways of, um, of buying a home. I mean, I, I was like, interesting. Yeah. He, he got I lucky. Say.
1: Yeah. He got, he got lucky. Right. And and I say that, um, in a, in a nice way, right. Cause luck, it plays a part in all of our lives in one way or another. Um, and that Dogecoin market, you know, <laughs> blew up at the right time when he had the right amount of, um, uh, shares or coins and um yeah that's super tight to be able to do that.
0: Yeah, that was the first I've ran across. And so, you know, people that, you know, are looking at, you know, I don't have enough money or there's no way I'm gonna own a home. Like you said, there's luck. There's ways of of, of luck and opportunity that are there and, and that's a new way of looking at home ownership. And even in stock markets, you know, there's People that have cashed out, you know, enough money to buy a home off of that. Of course, you got to qualify with income, but mm-hmm. uh, it, it, that was just one of those situations that I, I, that I was like, you know, wow.
1: Yeah, yeah, that is that's pretty tight, pretty crazy too. Yeah, I've heard of people buying luxury items from, you know, Bitcoin and stuff like that too, cars and things. But yeah, that's yeah. a whole nother market, a whole another conversation. <laughs> Well,
0: you answered my question on buying and selling, you know, as far as what's right. But the other one I want to talk about is, you know, your client testimonials, you know, and, 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 you know, what, you know, your clients are, you know, positive feedback, you know, about, you know, what you guys have done to go above and beyond to, you know, help those people get in those homes. Because as myself from my own personal experience, you guys helped me with my home ownership. And even when, you know, there were some things you guys did for me as an agent, and not always was like I need my hundred percent commission. You guys also are able to, you know, support me with mine and, and I always remember that. And, and and as my family, and my kids, you know, I have like you know a little one now growing up, you know, just teach them the mindset. And I know you said you had your kids involved in the in the real estate going to showings, but do you see your bringing your kids up in the business as well and becoming a gener a family and generational thing? Because what you're doing now is creating a, a legacy, and and you guys, like I said, over the hundreds and hundreds of people, and you multiply that by years and factors, you know that's a lot of people, and you know you guys are not just looking at what the healthcare workers did for your kids, but what you do for families. You guys are considered realtors heroes too, as well. You know.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, I I, I agree, and I, I um I, I take pride in that. That, 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 that. Yeah, I take pride in that. Because um, I do believe that we are a hero of some sort um, and, and helping people find ways, helping people that didn't believe they could or those that do believe they could buy, in, or buy a home, um, help them find a way to do that, right? And be that guiding person, that guiding profession, that guiding advisor. To help them navigate, to help them from even the beginning when they need to save up money, right? Giving them a – helping them with a plan to save up enough money or um, letting them know about a program that will help them cover some down payment assistance or something like that, right? Um, yeah, that's 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 cool. Um, as far as legacy and our kids joining the business, um, uh, I believe oh, – I don't know. It would be up to them, of course, right, what they want to do, but we do plan to have um, – to have this business around this business of helping folks in the real estate, um, buy, sell, and invest in real estate and beyond that um, for as long as we can. Uh, because when I first got in the business, I wanted to make an impact um, in people's lives. And, um, and, and that's what we're doing um, every day through real estate. Um, I hope my kids do become um, real estate um, professionals or business owners of some sort. I mean, they will have, you know, rental property and um, commercial property and, and things like that to to manage or, you know, watch the portfolio or whatever they'll be doing at that point in time. Um, so, well, they'll definitely be involved in one way or another. They go to our flips. Uh, they go to our Airbnbs. Um, they got all those things. Um, so, it, it's, it's cool to see them running around and not really knowing what's going on, but I know one day they'll be able to look back on that and be like, oh. You know, that, that's our rental property and like, we own that. So it's a good feeling to have.
0: Do you see a lot of uh, lease to own options or lease to buy options or uh, seller finance or is it more traditional, uh, you know, mortgage 30 year fixed mortgages and, and things like that? I mean, what are you seeing like on a case by case basis? I mean, have you seen any of those uh, creative financing? And like you said, it's always not about the money. It's about helping the family. And looking at, you know, are sellers willing to concede on on, on getting, you know, that and, and helping another family, especially if they are a family that is, you
1: know, deserving or at least has one to give them a chance
0: because, you know, that's a door opener, an opportunity for them.
1: It is. It is. No, I, I, um, I do not see a lot of. Le- Actually, I don't see any lease to own or seller financing. Things going on right now, maybe a couple seller finance things here and there, right? But there has to be a reason for it. Most sellers would rather just accept a cash offer or, or a finance offer, right? To just get rid of that um, that that asset or that uh, that home, right? Because if a seller decide or agrees to seller finance, now they've um, they've upgraded to be in the bank, right? But they're still attached to the home in one way or another, um, and most sellers would rather not. Most sellers want their lump sum right now or in 30 days once the loan closes as opposed to doing a, um, a lease zone option. Um, that's more for investors right now. And I've bought, purchased a home um, on seller finance. Actually, I purchased a couple of properties over the last couple of years using seller financing. The first home I bought was seller financing um, as well. Yeah, so I, I personally as an investor use it. And um, pitch that option to sellers if that's a solution or can be a solution or helps us meet um, meet their goal. Um, but I'm not seeing retail sellers sell uh, do um, seller financing to retail buyers. Yeah, that's I it, it's just it's not the market for that. But I do know there was a there there could be a market coming up, right? If um yeah, and I know there was a market for that years and years ago, maybe in the mid 2000s when um, interest rates were either either too high or, I don't know. It's just when things don't make sense one way or another, buyers and sellers look, look for another option. And so, but right now, that's not that big of an option or solution. Go ahead. You
0: hit on a key thing. You know, it's just not you're able to help a person be a home buyer. You also can help investors, if I understand things correctly, if they're looking to, you know, investment properties. Mm-hmm. And you, you pretty much have a background of being an investor, realtor. So if I'm a homeowner, I can also turn homeowners into real into uh, real estate investors as well, and you know, go to you as a source of you know information or knowledge, not just also acquiring like you said these assets.
1: Hmm. Yes. Yeah. Um, one specific example is um, the first one that we bought in 2015 for our personal residence. Right, we lived in that home for six years no five years four years actually four years and then our family was growing or we had the son and then i think we she was pregnant with the twins at that time my wife was pregnant with the twins and we turned that first home into our first airbnb in um december january or yeah uh, late 2019 is when we turned that into um an airbnb and so To tie into what you were saying, homeowners that purchase a home, they can upgrade into a new home, I believe it's every one or two years, right? And then they can turn that previous property into an investment property, right? That upgraded home needs to be, and I don't know the exact um, requirements, a lender would know better than I do. But the lender needs to see that you have a reason to move, right? A bigger home, a higher price, um, maybe you, uh, maybe closer to school or work or something like that, right? It can't be a lesser home in the eyes of the lender, right? Because they're not going to believe that you're going to um, live in that home. And the reason why that's important is because, let me say that at the beginning statement again. You can buy a new home as an owner-occupied buyer every one to two years. Right, which means you can also put down less money every one to two years to buy that new home because you're telling the lender that that new home is your new occupier, owner-occupied home, right? The home that you're going to occupy as your home, right? And you can do that every one to two years and then turn each of those other properties into investment properties. I see.
0: Well, that's, you ought to teach a um, a real estate uh, investor class then, since, you know, that's a, a strategy, you know, you pretty much are an expert in and, and have that knowledge in and not, you know, for people just to say, hey, you know, we're limited. They can turn that into a business as well as a home ownership. And, you know, mm-hmm. that's great to hear, you know, that you have that, you know, they have that ability to, you know, go, you know, a, a directional with you know their their one home and move and upscale that um you know i think that's a good you know good thing there um what about the pre-approved now versus uh pre-qualified like you're saying with the way that the offers are going in do you have clients because i know one of the things that had me uh with an offer that i submitted because they rejected mine because it wasn't all the way um I think it was pre-qualified, yeah.
1: It yeah. wasn't fully underwritten,
0: and the tax return and transcripts wasn't full. So they pretty much, even though I gave them what their asking price was, they kind of like threw that off the table. And and I really liked the house, but I did, we ended up finding something just equally better. But you know, do you, where are you at with that with your clients? Do you have them shop when they have a pre-qualification letter, or do you go out with them being fully underwritten, and it gives them more of a, a buying competition or competitiveness?
1: Yeah, spot on. Yeah, really good question and really key thing for buyers to understand right now. Um, th- there's, I would say, just three levels, right? There's a, a, a pre, uh, pre-qual, a pre-approval, and a DU or a desktop underwritten um, uh, approval letters, right? And they all, um, this is like basic, you give basic information to the lender, you know, oh, hey, this is my credit score, this is my income, this is my expenses, You know, um, tell me what I qualify off of that, right? That's very simple, very basic. Not really, the lender's not verifying any of the information that you're giving them at that time. Maybe running credit, maybe not. You know, so very basic, and that's really weak for a a buyer to go in. um, In the eyes of a seller, it's a a weak buyer, right? Um, The pre-approval is where the lender will run credit, check um, assets, Uh, Check your your income, check your pay stubs, check your W-2s, check your tax return, you know, check all those things and say, okay, yeah, you know, it's good. This lines up, this matches up, this is how much you can qualify for, and here's your pre-approval letter, right? That is um, most common. Um, because it takes more time or manpower for a lender to go through the desktop underwriting process. And I don't know why they call it desktop underwriting. Um, But I think they put it into a system, all that information, and then it it, it underwrites it. And there's also manual underwriting as well, where it's a physical person that looks at everything and plugs in all the numbers and things like that. The desktop underwritten approval is the strongest because they've already looked at everything, that needs to be done and they've already spent some time on the front end um, um, processing your file as a buyer. And so that looks best to sellers because a few different reasons. Um, it shows that the lender um, will likely um, not have as many um, 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 surprises uh, right, happen because they've already solved all the surprises that could happen. You know, whether it's with um, um, employment or on the credit, or um, you know, credit, or you know, whatever it is, those things are are potentially eliminated by going through that process. Um, time buyers with desktop underwritten or DU approvals can usually close faster than the a thirty day process that it would take for on a regular approval uh, approved buyer or a buyer that's just approved, um, and that's because they've already done some of that processing work up front. And that's why loans, uh, most, um, finan- most purchases take about 30 days because just the processing from start to finish. Um, but if they're desktop underwritten already, then they may be able to close and shoot 14 day, 14 to 21, 14 to 25 days, something like that. Um, of course, depending on how fast the appraisal comes in, because that's usually the, the thing that's, um, usually takes the longest. Um, so yeah, so those are the three, um, three levels and being a desktop underwritten buyer is the best and buyers and and sellers take you more serious and will take you more serious over a pre-qualified buyer so
0: what is your recommendation i know you've already went through the three different levels as far as when you're out with you know your potential home buyers do you have your home buyers with level two and three which is the you Know not to pre qualify, but have pulled the tax transcripts as well as the third level where it's a desktop, so you have a you know strong buyers out there in the market with competing, you know, with the low inventory. And, and because that, like you said, increases your success rate of closing the deal. Mm-hmm.
1: What was it? What was a question? Sorry,
0: I say, What do you recommend when you have you know potential clients that are out shopping and you know you, you explain that to them? Do you do they also take your recommendations and and want to lean towards being a strong buyer or do you still have you know those people that you know it just goes in in the ear out the other ear and they're out there trying to compete with weak buyers because that just doesn't there's no advantages to that it doesn't make sense for them to be out there competing in a market with you know that heavily saturated and they're not strong enough to even uh you know close the deal
1: yeah 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 no and so we choose not to work with buyers that don't take our professional advice mm-hmm. right we we can they can choose not to work with us as well, right so it works both ways um so if they're not happy with what we're saying or or how we're trying to guide them with what we know is is best in this current market um then then you know they're not going to listen to us you know when we're trying to give them other advice in other areas as well um so we definitely recommend the d u underwritten um, buyers, for sure, one hundred percent. That is the best because that's the best position they can be in. We do work with some approved buyers as well, um, but before we work with those approved buyers, we will call the lender and ask the lender questions as well. Right? We don't just um, take it for face value, because yeah, surprises have came up you know, more often than anybody would like and we want to avoid that at all costs, right? It um we want to avoid the headache, the heartache for the buyer, we wanna avoid that for the seller that then, you know, packed up all their clothes and all their boxes and all their furniture and stuff. And then day twenty eight of a thirty day transaction, um, find out that the buyer can't close because of something that could have been, you know, found out or or prevented um prior to going into escrow. So um so yeah. That's good information to know because it's a business relationship
0: and not everyone is a, a, a right fit for you and you're not a right fit for them. And, and it has to, like you said, it has to work together as a team uh, because, you know, you guys are representing the, the, the buyers and, you know, everyone wants to be on a winning team. And of course, every deal isn't you know, going to be a winning deal, but that does make sense to be out there in the field with the strongest possibilities of closing the deal and not spinning their wheels.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Yep. And, and getting their offer accepted, right? If the buyer wants to get their offer accepted, then they would listen to our advice um, and listen to the lender's advice. More importantly, right? Cause those are the person with the numbers and that will be giving them the loan and, um, and, and doing what they say. Right. And mm-hmm. I think that's just the best way to do it. Right. You don't. Yeah. Yeah. Period. You listen to the expert. You, you yep. seek, you seek us out to help you with something. And we're telling you what to do, so do it. And, you know, and and, and eventually, maybe after, you know, five, ten offers, you'll get a offer accepted, and you'll be a homeowner sooner than later.
0: Mm-hmm. I mean, it sounds like you guys are, you know, like the brain surgeons of the real estate. You know, you're not going to go to a foot doctor to, you know, take care of a, a head injury or trauma, you know. So, Correct. you know, Correct. you, you want to go to someone that's going to get the, get the job done right and, and meet the expectation, meet or exceed the expectations. Exactly. exactly. What about the contingencies? Are you seeing those being um, a lot of issues now or, or or lenders being flexible with, you know, certain things like, oh, you know, this fascia board is dry rot or, or needs to be repainted. Are you seeing a lot of those little tit for tat things now? Or they're just like, you know, that can be done, you know, on a, on a home improvement, you know, thing or three or something like that
1: yeah good question um the but, 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 but there's two ways I want to answer this um so the lender the lender was only going to know about something if the appraiser brings it to the lender's attention when the appraiser's walking around. I've seen appraisers miss broken windows, which is a hazard for any <laughs> loan, right and the appraiser missed the window, and so they didn't tell the lender and so the lender you know they still close on the home um so there is that human error um that is involved in that um lenders usually don't get home inspection reports um and and that's a strategic reason because if they've seen that then it's at the lender's discretion to request uh for the home to be in a certain condition right or for the seller to make repairs or Mm -hmm. you know um, paint the chipping fascia boards or something like that um so 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 it it varies there um uh, i don't i don't know i wouldn't say i see lenders getting tighter on that or looser on those things on those contingencies. Um, now I will move over to the buyer side buyers nowadays. And again, this is another thing to make an offer stronger in this current market. Buyers are purchasing homes or writing offers and removing their contingencies, right? A buyer has, a buyer has, um, three contingencies. Um, in a transaction by default, right? The inspection contingency, which is a 17 day inspection contingency where they can do any and all inspections that they want to do. And if they are not happy with something, they can ask the seller to give them a credit, make the repairs, or they can cancel. Uh, next contingency is the loan conting- appraisal contingency, which we already talked about, right? If the appraisal mm-hmm. doesn't come in a certain amount and the buyer and the seller can't come um, to an agreement on price, then um, then they can agree to, to cancel. Um, and the last one is the loan contingency. The loan contingency is connected to the appraisal contingency because in order for the loan to be fully approved and to, the buyer to remove that contingency, um, they, uh, the appraisal has to come in at you know the, the right amount or an agreeable amount to both buyer and seller. So I'm seeing with the DU, back to the DU approval and how that relates to the um, loan contingency. I, I'm seeing buyers remove the D, uh, the loan contingency up front because they're already underwritten, right? Fully underwritten. The lender already knows and have undis or discovered all of their skeletons in their closet and have fixed them and solved the problems, right? Um, um, inspection contingencies. I'm seeing those are removed on newer homes. I've seen them removed on some older homes as well, but of course that's more risky. Um, especially if the home looks like it's in distressed condition, right? But the buyer removing their con- their um, inspection contingency up front, what they're essentially saying is we won't cancel, we the buyer won't cancel um, based on the condition of the home or what the reports say once we get those in. Um, and, and so they can still cancel for one of the other contingencies if they have them still in place, but they can't cancel because of the condition of the home, right? So they're they're almost buying it as is. They still can ask the seller to um, to do repairs and, or ask for credit. They can still do that, right? But then seller may look at them sideways and be like, well, you removed all your contingencies up front, so why am I going to do that, right? Um, but it just all depends, right? The people are different, homes are different, et cetera, et cetera. But we do have buyers buying like newer homes like 2015 or 2012 or, or homes that are well maintained, and you can see they're well maintained. Um, putting in offers that are removing the inspection contingency because that's more enticing to the sellers nowadays, knowing that that's one less leg that that buyer can stand on um, or, or one less reason the buyer can cancel, I should say. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: And then, of course, the earnest money deposit, you know, once that's in escrow, then that's, you know, non-refundable, um, which goes without saying. But hey, I know. Oh, you well, actually, to-
1: it is. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, and I do have to um, get home in a second. My, my wife my, my wife has a has a showing, and um, I think we try to get our babysitter to stay a little bit later, but she couldn't. Um, so I do got to run home in a second. Um, but EMDs, earnest money deposits, are refundable. They are refundable up until, well, uh, there's an asterisk. So this is how I explain it to a seller and to a buyer. Um, and I'll probably go off a little quick tangent on it, but... Um, i'll try to keep it as precise as possible so back to those contingencies if a buyer removes all their contingencies up front meaning they have no leg to stand on then they're essentially saying hey my earnest money deposit if i cancel you the seller can have it now there's always an asterisk by it because that's when the buyer puts in the cancellation the buyer um will then ask for there's two parts one is canceling escrow on the top part of that page the bottom is refund of of the earnest money deposit if the buyer says hey i want to keep that earnest money deposit that goes to the seller to to review and either agree to that or the sellers the seller can say no you removed all your contingencies up front you know you wasted my time um, i've already done repairs or whatever it is or nothing at all right and the seller then can say no i want to keep your earnest money deposit um um period but The asterisk, the additional asterisk is if those two parties can't agree, then escrow that's holding that earnest money deposit won't disperse that money. Right. Then the seller needs to take legal action against the buyer in order to sue them for the earnest money deposit to get that money um, from them. Right. So it's a process. Most sellers would rather just not go through the court process and they'll just release it. Right. Or what I've been successful at, because I represent um, 95, 99 percent sellers, is there's been five times where a buyer has um, lost all or some or not lost. I shouldn't say that. um, Gave up or lost, however you want to say it. Anyways, um, all of their money deposit. One was on my own flip that I that we did that buyer. Asked for an extension after 30 days, and then on day 29, um, he didn't feel right about it or something, so he canceled, right? (laughs) And I asked for, um, as a seller, and I wasn't the agent on it, but I was uh, the the owner of the home, I asked for all that deposit, right? Because it took all this time. um, I believe I did repairs, and he agreed because he knew that it was his fault that he was canceling. So he did um, give us uh, his his earnest money deposit back. Um, One other example was a buyer um, asked for t- three extensions. So we were probably on day, it's supposed to be like a 30-day transaction, and we were like on day, maybe damn near 60 at that time, because um, the buyer and the lender was going back and forth, and the lender was asking for more things from the buyer, yada, 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 yada. The buyer, I believe they removed all of their contingencies, the buyer... At, at day 60 when they went to cancel because they didn't want to work with their lender anymore, asked for all of their earnest money deposit back. The sellers had made another mortgage payment at that time. They had already done repairs. And so I had the sellers to say, hey, what, how, much you, how much is your mortgage payment and how much is the repairs, right? Let's see if we can get more or get some, not more, because the buyer wasn't trying to give up anything at that time. Let's see if we can get some of that earnest money deposit, right? And so we agreed at the end of the day, at the end of all of, it, all of it, the buyer agreed to give up half of the earnest money deposit to cover, it, it. that would cover the mortgage payment and the repairs that the seller had done, right? So now the seller's mm-hmm. not really out of money for that time wasted and the repairs that they did. And that happened because um, my conversation with the seller and then my conversation with the agent, right? Because most, all conversations, all communication between buyer and seller are filtered through the agent. And so I had to um talk to the agent on the other side, the buyer's agent and 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 kind of school him or game him in a way that showed him that his client wouldn't win in court if the sellers wanted to take him to court for this, right? because they had already moved their contingencies and the sellers had done repairs and you know x, y, and z reasons. And so and wow. I said it of course, in a nice way. and wow. the buyer's agent agreed with me so then his conversation with the buyer was different. Right. And um, and and he was able to convince his buyer to do, in my words, the right thing and give up at least some of his earnest money deposit. Right. And another thing to that is, as I mentioned before, escrow wouldn't release the earnest money deposit to the buyer, even though the buyer wanted it. So that earnest money deposit would be held up in escrow until some uh, agreement was made. Right. So it could have been months, you know, if the seller did take the buyer to court or or, or something like that. Right. So mm-hmm. the, the buyer didn't want to wait for that. They wanted their money back. So they said, OK, well, I'll give the seller half. It was my fault that it's on this long. And, um, you know, I'm at fault. He finally admitted that. And um, and yeah, so the seller got got half of the money, which they were happy about. And then we ended up putting it back on the market and got ten or fifteen thousand dollars more from the next buyer. Than we were getting from the previous buyer so they were super ecstatic and super happy and um it was a win-win for them
0: well it sounds like you know you also do um how would i say interventions for sometimes you know being an agent you know helping like you say conflict resolutions that's All also important also important too for an agent to be able to do that because there's always going to be there can be conflicts between a seller and buyer and it doesn't have to always be to Court it can be settled you know mutually or at least between you know the two parties, Uh, but how do people get a hold of you? And and as far as Strive Real Estate, you know the website, the phone number. You know if they are interested in you know you guys's uh, expertise and you know how your approach is to the market versus another agent that's just you know out there home shopping without having that you know game plan in place.
1: Yeah, so you can reach me, or you can find me, or follow me on, uh, on Instagram. I'm dad, realtor, investor. Again, underscores in between all of those. My wife is a realtor mom. Realtor, actually, it's all one word. She's realtor mom on there. So you can find us on there. I think most people will follow people first, and you know, kind of just see how, see who they are through their stories and their Instagram feeds and stuff like that um, before they reach out to them. You can DM me there, or you can text me, or call me directly. My phone number is five five nine three one two. 7467 Again, 559 Our website, you can go to strivehome.com. I believe it will forward to strivehomefinder.com, which is um, our home searching website. Um, so those are the easiest ways to get in touch with me. And I'd be happy to have a conversation. Um, you know, see what what problems you're dealing with and see what solutions we can help you out with, whether it's a, on the retail side or, you know, you have an ugly property to sell um, and want to sell something on the on the on the um, on the investor side, on the non retail side of things. So I can help you out in a few different ways. What about a phone number? Is there, you know, a phone number to call or or? or- uh, well, yeah, my cell phone number, 559-312-7467, or 559, our office number, 559-840-8838. 840-8838. And then you'll get Aubrey, um, which is our um, executive assistant on our team. And, um, and then she'll pass it on to either myself or one of the buyer's specialists on our team.
0: So so you guys aren't just a two-man uh, real, t- real estate mm. agency. You guys have a team of experts and people that are – in the same, you know, expertise as you or yourself, as you guys have, you know, like-minded agents, I I, I will want to go ahead and correctly say.
1: Correct. Correct, yep, yep, yep. Our total team, including everybody admin and um, um, our agents is 11 now, 11. Uh, six agents, five admin or four admin, six or seven agents I forget we, we're uh, onboarding two guys right now uh, two agents right now
0: so your customer service would uh, would be just as great as you know your personality and so that's kind of what people should know not just you know single realtor operator and so you know Correct. any other closing
1: notes you know you want to have Darren I um, said you have to leave yeah no um, man Work hard, be nice. <laughs> um, you know all the the, the good things. Um, have a positive mindset. I know these are all mental uh, things, um, but I think any in well in this business, it's a very mentally taxing um, uh, business or industry. Um, so I'm big on mindset and big on positivity. Um, so that's what I want to leave people with. Work work hard, be nice, do well by others, give back. Um, love thy neighbor and call us for all your real estate needs. Send referrals. We're happy to help with any referrals that you may have.
0: Okay. We appreciate your time. And I know it's, uh, you know, you got to get back to the family and, uh, hopefully, you know, you can be requested by popular demand to come back again and talk a little bit more and, uh, you know, invite other people, but thanks again for your time and, uh, look forward to, uh, having more people reach out to, uh, you know, request your guys's, uh, estate business
1: right on i appreciate you marshawn all right thanks again darren you're welcome talk to you soon All all right bye bye